some truths from it. Lord, I pray that you would uh, help it to be a time of learning, but also, Lord, of being challenged and of being able to learn from your Bible, Lord, that we might become uh, better servants of thee. We love you, Father, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Isaiah chapter number 8, and we've been making our way through the book of Isaiah on uh, Sunday nights. And Isaiah chapter 8 uh, is, is an interesting passage of scripture. There, there's a lot about the actual book of Isaiah, and it's quoted a lot throughout the New Testament, and we're going to look at some of that stuff. But some of the something that kind of jumped out at me as I was reading this throughout the week and, and studying it and, and looking at different things is it, it jumped out at me, uh, and I felt like maybe the Holy Spirit was kind of just allowing me to focus on this. And it, it seems to me like in chapter 8, we get a little bit of the overview of Isaiah. Isaiah's ministry. Isaiah was one of the most successful prophets, uh, uh, definitely probably the most well-known prophet, the most, uh, I don't know if if he's the most, but he's quoted a lot in the New Testament, and of course, uh, we'll get to it later in the book of Isaiah, but Isaiah was the prophet, was the preacher, was the man of God when the children of Israel had one of the greatest revivals they ever had under the leadership of King Hezekiah. Isaiah was very accomplished, and, and in this passage, though, we see kind of an overview of his ministry and the fact that how he was able to do so much. And, you know, so many prophets were faithful to God and they preached the word of God, but were not very successful in the way that you and I would think of a, a ministry being successful. Now, they were successful because they were faithful to God, but they were not able to see many converts or many things done. Isaiah was not so. Isaiah was able to influence King Hezekiah and, see, uh, and take part of a great revival that happened there with the children of Judah, and I, and I want you to notice tonight, and I'll, uh, we won't be too long, but I, I want to show you kind of an overview of Isaiah's ministry and some of the things that caused Isaiah to be so successful in his day. Look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll, and write in it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalal Hash Baz. Alright, and that's probably the longest name in the Bible. So if you want to take a note of that and say, put, just put next to your Bible, longest name in the Bible. Okay? I feel bad for that kid in school. You know what I mean? Exactly. Every time he has to write his name down, it takes him like all day. But uh, I want you to notice here, God gives us a little bit of insight in this verse as to how we got not only the book of Isaiah, but how we got the word of God. No, notice, look, look at verse 1 again. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll. Now that great roll he's referring to is what you and I would call a scroll or a piece of paper or probably a, a piece of skin from an animal that would have been rolled up or, or, or a paper that would have been rolled up. And God tells him to take a great roll and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mehar Shalal Hashbaz. Now, it's interesting that God says, I want you to take a man's pen. And that's kind of an interesting uh, uh, way of describing that because that's not something you and I would say. I mean, initially you would ask yourself, well, what, what kind of other pen is there, God? You want to take a man's pen as opposed to what? You know, like uh, a dog's pen, you know? But what God is doing there, he's emphasizing something, and he's emphasizing the fact that man wrote the word of God as far as they took a pen and wrote down the actual words. But you need to understand that the vision that Isaiah saw was from God. And even though man took, take a, takes a pen, or took a pen, and wrote the word of God down, it was not man's words that were being written down. It was man's pen that was being used, but it was God's word. And God is emphasizing the fact that the ministry of Isaiah was primarily in bringing us part of the word of God. Now keep your finger there in Isaiah chapter 8. Let me run a few verses with you. Go to 2 Timothy chapter number 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And look at verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 in the New Testament. You find all those T books for 2 Thessalonians, for 2 Timothy, uh, Titus. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And if I were you, I'd put a, a bulletin or a bookmark or something there in 2 Timothy because we're going to be coming back to it later in the, well, immediately, and then later on also in the sermon. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says this, All Scripture... All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration means God breathed. It means that God spoke the words 
with his breath, with his voice. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Keep your finger there in 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Peter chapter number 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. God says, I want you to take a roll, Isaiah, and I want you to take a man's pen because you're going to use, uh, 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 we're going to use a man to write these words down, but Isaiah, these are not your words because all scripture is given by inspiration of God. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Look at verse number 21. 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 21. And the Bible says this, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, For the prophecy came not in old time, notice this, the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Is that not true of the book of Isaiah? God went to Isaiah, and God said to Isaiah, Take thee a great roll and write it in it with a man's pen. See, the prophecy and the word of God, it did not come by the will of man. No man sat down and thought, I'm going to write this book. you got to understand something about the Bible. Man would not write the Word of God. I mean, look at the books that are written by men. They're all about the power of positive thinking. They're all about how good you are and the inner awakening, the inner giant in you, and you're so great, and you're so this, and you're so that. And what's the Word of God? You're a sinner. You deserve to go to hell. You're nothing without Jesus. Without me, you can do nothing. Man would not write this book. It, was not, it did not come from the will of man. Notice what it says, 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God, notice, holy men of God spake, do you see that? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is how scripture was given. God spoke to men like Isaiah, and men like Isaiah dictated the words of God, and they were written down on a scroll with a man's pen. It might have been a man's pen, but it was God's word. And that is, and you got to understand, you know, today we must have the inspired, preserved Word of God. And I don't want to preach on the issue of the King James Bible. If that's something you're interested in, we've got a DVD that we can give you, and you can watch that, uh, you know, and it'll explain all of that. But I want you to understand, if you go back to Isaiah chapter 8, we, we kind of get an explanation there of how we got the Word of God. But I, I want you to understand this about Isaiah's ministry. It was... The Word of God was the center of his ministry. Now, obviously, he was writing God's Word as he wrote the book of Isaiah. But you need to understand this. In Isaiah's ministry and in our ministry here today, the Word of God must be the center of that ministry. Isaiah was, the, the, his ministry was all about God's Word. But you got to understand this. At Verity Baptist Church, this ministry needs to be all about God's Word. Did you keep your place in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy? Look at 2 Timothy chapter number... Oh, good night. I didn't write it down. Let's go to it. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. And uh, good night. Verse number 2. Well, look at verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to a young preacher, Timothy. He says, I charge thee therefore... Before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now notice verse 2, preach the word. That is the purpose of our ministry. That is the purpose of Isaiah's ministry. That is the purpose of every ministry to preach the word, being in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all our suffering and doctrine. You say, why is it that we come to Verity Baptist Church and, and, and we sing, but it doesn't seem like that's the main attraction, and we and we do other things, but it, it seems like everything's just focused around the Word of God, and we get together and we learn the Word of God, and we go, we flip from this page to that page, and we take notes, and we study, and we spend, why, why is it that it seems like it's all about the Bible around here, because the Bible has commanded us to preach the Word, and just like in Isaiah's ministry, the Word of God was the center, the Word of God was the most important thing. In our ministry today, the Word of God must be the center and the most important thing. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. I want you to notice that not only is the Word of God central in Isaiah's ministry, but look at verse 2. Now we're talking about how Isaiah, what was Isaiah's ministry? To bring the prophecy, the book of Isaiah. God told him to take a roll and a man's pen. But notice verse 2. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record. Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah. Now here's what you need to understand, okay? Isaiah did not write the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was the holy man.
man of God who is faith and to be moved by the Holy Ghost, these two men actually wrote down the words of the book of Isaiah and they helped him out in ministry. But here's the, the next thing that I see uh, as we kind of see an overview of Isaiah's ministry. Not only was the word of God central and pivotal in his ministry, but Isaiah had faithful men that came alongside and helped him. Did you catch that? Look at verse 2. And I took unto me, notice this word, faithful witnesses. Isaiah said, I found some guys that were faithful. I found some guys that were consistent. I found some guys that were able to help me. He said, I had a ministry. God had given me a ministry to preach to the nation of Israel, uh, of of Judah, and and to bring the word of God. And God had given me things he wanted me to do. And and God had told me, hey, you're going to need the word of God. So I need you to grab a roll and I need to grab a a man's pen and I need you to write this down because you need to preach my word. But then Isaiah also went out and found faithful witnesses to be able to help him to carry out the ministry. You need to understand this about Isaiah's ministry. You need to understand this about our ministry. You need to understand this about every ministry that is going to be honoring to to God. Not only must the Word of God be pivotal, but there must be faithful men and women that help minister the Word of God. Go to Exodus chapter 18. Let me give you some examples. Exodus chapter number 18. Exodus, chapter number 18. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so it should be fairly easy to find. Exodus, chapter number 18. We find Moses, who is ministering to the church in the wilderness, as is referred to in Acts, chapter number 7. And if you look at verse number 13, Exodus, chapter number 18, and we'll begin reading at verse 13, look what it says. And it came to pass on the morrow... That Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone? Notice that word, alone. He said, Why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto even. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and His laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Now why would Moses' father-in-law say that to Moses? Because he's ministering to God's people, and he's doing a good thing, but he's doing it alone. And Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, says, Hey, this isn't good. It's not good for you to do it this way. Now notice verse 18. Thou wilt surely wear away. But thou and this people that is with thee, for the thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be, uh, be thou for the people to Godward, and thou mayest bring the causes unto God, and thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shall show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. Verse 23, If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go and uh, to their place in peace. What is it that Jethro is telling Moses? He's telling Moses, find some faithful guys. He said, find some help. He said, find some people that love God and fear the Lord, that, are, that hate covetousness, men of truth. He said, find somebody to help you with the ministry. And you got to understand this. All throughout the Bible, it's never been about an individual. It's never been about one guy just kind of going alone and, and going against the world. It's always been a group effort. That's why God gave us a church. Go to Acts chapter number 7. Let me give you a New Testament example of the same thing. Acts chapter number 7. Acts chapter number 7. In, in Isaiah, Isaiah was given a ministry, but he got his ministry done by being able to find... I'm sorry, did I say, uh, did I say Acts chapter 7? I meant Acts chapter 6. He got his ministry done by being able to find faithful witnesses to help him accomplish the ministry that God had given him. Moses was weighing himself away in the, in the wilderness, and Jethro said, Hey Moses, you need to get some help. You're going to wear away. These people are gonna, you're you're going to die of stress. If you keep doing this all on your own, you're, if you're going to do what God has called you to do, you're going to have to find faithful men that are going to help you, and faithful individuals that are going to help you 
take the load off of you. Go to uh, Acts chapter 6, look at verse 1. Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Acts 6, 1 says that in those days... When the number of disciples was multiplied, this is a church in Jerusalem, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is now reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here you got the twelve apostles who are kind of leading this church in Jerusalem, and the church is growing, and there's some things that are just not getting done. The widows weren't being ministered to, and, and, and the apostles said, hey, it is not reason for us to leave the word of God to wait tables. They said, and what did they do? They went out and found men to be able to help them. Notice, look, read, look at verse 5 again. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. Notice, there's always qualifications of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we, may, who we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word of God. He needs to understand this about Verity Baptist Church. If Verity Baptist Church is to continue to grow and reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're going to have to have some of the men and some of the women of this church to step up in their faithfulness, step up in their holiness, step up in their ability and be able to say, hey, all help continue to support the ministry. I'll get involved. I'll volunteer. I'll be that faithful witness that you need Isaiah. It's the only way it's going to work. There's only so much one or two or three people can do. And you can never have too much help. Go back to 2 Timothy. Did you keep your place there? In 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy starting to think that I I, didn't, I must have not hit the save button when I saved the sermon because it's missing a bunch of verses that I knew I put in there. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Look at verse number 2. Here's the cat. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2 the Bible says And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to. Here's the catch, and here's the problem, and here's why ministries don't accomplish the things that God has wants them to do. Is because Paul said this, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Who shall be able to teach others also. See, the qualification for being used of God in a ministry like Isaiah's, or a ministry like Moses's, or a ministry like the church in Jerusalem, or a ministry like Verity Baptist Church is not talent, it's not intelligence, it's not ability, it's one word, faithfulness. Can you be found faithful? The psalmist said, help Lord, for the godly man sees it. And the Bible, throughout the Bible, we get this idea that there's just not a lot of faithful people. There's not a lot of consistent people. And I would, I, I, I would challenge some of you, and I would uh, encourage some of you, you know, step up and help out and find a place to serve and find a place to, in, in, to, to get involved. And not only say, hey, I want to be involved, but make sure you're faithful when you do it. Just like Isaiah needed faithful witnesses to be able to help him accomplish his ministry. And Moses needed faithful men to be able to accomplish his ministry. And, and the church of Jerusalem needed faithful individuals to help them so that the men of God there did not have to go wait tables when they should have been studying God's word or witnessing or doing things that only they could take care of when it came to the word of God. Hey, just like in those instances, Verity Baptist Church, these individuals would step up and say, hey, how can I help? What can I do? What, what can I carry and how can I volunteer? And what can I do to help this church continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Isaiah's ministry not only centered on the Word of God, but it centered around people that stepped up and said, Hey, I want to be faithful. And, you know, I'd like to challenge you. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. I'd like to challenge you in a few weeks here, in, in October, every year in October, we kind of have a, a worker emphasis week. And, we, uh, and I'll preach a sermon about uh, working around the church and volunteering. And then we'll hand you out some uh, information and we'll give you some things that, that, you know, some places that you may be able to serve, like driving a van or helping us with the ushering or helping with us with greeting and different things like that. And I, I would challenge you that from now till then that you would be thinking and praying and, and wondering, you know, where, where could I fit in and what could I do and where could I serve and ask God to help you and guide you and give you that ability because, look, we all have to be in the ministry of Jesus Christ helping the church reach people with the gospel of Christ. Isaiah not only had the word of God central 
Isaiah had faithful people, and, I, and, I, and let, me, let me take the moment to thank those of you that do help and are faithful and do volunteer. We couldn't do the things we do around here without your help, of course. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse 3. Let me show you something else I kind of see in Isaiah's ministry. In number 1, we saw the emphasis on the Word of God. In verse 2, we saw the emphasis of faithful men, faithful witnesses, faithful women to serve in the ministry. In number three, though, I see an emphasis on family. Notice what Isaiah says. He says, And I went unto the prophetess, that's his wife, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. Isaiah's ministry, in a kind of peculiar way, involved his family. Because God was using his son, and we'll see here in a minute, God was using his son as a sign that Isaiah would preach about for the ministry. But I want you to notice, not only was it just a sign, Isaiah had his family involved in this ministry. Go back to Isaiah chapter 7. Remember we were in Isaiah chapter 7 last week? Look at verse 3. I don't know if you caught this. I didn't really uh, reference it because I knew we would reference it in chapter 8. But look at Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 3. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 3, the Bible says this, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz. Remember, God sent Isaiah to meet King Ahaz, who was not a good king, and to help him out because he was scared. Then said the Lord God, uh, Then said the Lord uh, unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz. Thou, notice this, this is a different son, Sher Shab thy son, and uh, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So here, God tells Isaiah, I want you to go minister to the King Ahaz, and God, this is what God said to Isaiah. By the way, take your son with you. Do you notice how God was emphasizing that Isaiah's ministry was to, was to involve his family? Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. Skip down to verse number 18. Notice what Isaiah said about his family. Behold, I, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 18. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth, which dwelleth in Mount Zion. I want you to notice as we kind of see an overview of Isaiah's ministry, we see that number one, the word of God is emphasized and we see that number two, Isaiah didn't do it alone. He had faithful witnesses that kind of helped him to be able to accomplish the things that God had given him to do. But number three, Isaiah involved his family. Today there is a huge movement around conservative Christians and independent Federal Baptists that is teaching that in order to focus on the family, you must forsake the church. And it starts in stages. The first thing they teach you is, you know, go to church on Sunday morning, but you don't have to go to the evening services. Just kind of stay home and have family time. And they take it to an extreme to the point where they're by the droves, good people. I'm not talking about bad people, I'm talking about good people. They love their families, they go to work every day, they homeschool, they love God. But they are leaving churches and they are going to these home church movements where it's basically just them and their family reading the Bible together. And they call that church because they say, it's our family is way too important to be able to go to church and be able to serve. And you want us to serve and help and go soul winning and get involved in this and get, no, no. We just got to focus on our family, and our family is way too far. Let me tell you something. If you put too much of an emphasis on your family, you're going to raise a bunch of greedy kids that think that the focus is only on them. The best thing you can do for your kids is to take them out with you as you minister to people and serve God. You've got to serve God together as a family. You say, well, Pastor, are you against us having family time and reading the Bible together? I think every family ought to have Bible time every night. At our home, we read the Bible before bed with our kids. My wife reads the Bible when she homeschools in the morning, and I read the Bible with the kids every night except church night because we get the Bible at church. I don't, I'm not telling you not to focus on your family. I'm telling you this. It is wrong to forsake the assembly of God in order to focus on your family. God did not tell Isaiah, ignore the ministry so you can be a good dad. God told Isaiah, hey, take your son with you. Spend some quality time as you're going out and doing God's work. And in our church, being family integrated, we should bring the family together. Hey, take your family with you. You say, well, I volunteer to, to clean, or I volunteer to drive a van, or I volunteer to wash the van, I, I go out soul winning, or I go do this, or I go to Hey, take your wife with you. Take your kids with you. Involve the family. That's what Isaiah did. As we overview Isaiah's ministry, we see that he focused on the Word of God, and we see that he had an emphasis on having faithful witnesses to help him, but he also had an emphasis on his family. Look at Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse 4. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 4. 
For behold, the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother. I'm sorry, behold, before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother. The riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. Now let me just show you, because uh, we're kind of doing a study in Isaiah, so if you want to write this cross-reference down, we'll go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 16. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 4, we're given a prophecy uh, of, the, of the nation of Israel uh, and Damascus and Samaria. And the prophecy is this. In, in, in verse 3, Isaiah and his wife conceived and bare a son. And then God said, hey, before your, your son has the ability to say, my father and my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away. So basically, you know, in two or three years, that nation is going to be uh, taken over. And Second Kings chapter number 16 and verse 9, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. So if you want to write your cross-reference there and be able to show that this prophecy that Isaiah gave was fulfilled in 2 Kings 16 and verse 9 the Bible says, and the king of Assyria hearkened unto him, for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it and carried the people of it captive to Ker and slew reason. So you see there how that prophecy from Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 4 was fulfilled in 2 Kings chapter number 16 and verse number 9. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. Let me show you something else I see. In Isaiah's ministry. Now this is going to take a little bit of cross-referencing. So I want you to, to kind of pay attention. Isaiah chapter 8. Look at verse 5. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 5. The Lord spake also unto me again. Saying. For as much as this people. Make note of this word. Refuse it. The waters of Shiloh. You, need that, you see that word there? Shiloh. That go softly and rejoice in reason and Remaliah's son. Now let me show you something about the waters of Shiloh. Go to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse number 15. And we get a little more description of these waters of Shiloh. Nehemiah chapter number 3 and verse 15. Nehemiah chapter number 3 and verse 15. Nehemiah chapter 3 and verse 15. The Bible says this. Remember Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall? And Nehemiah 3.15, the Bible says, But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalun, the son of Kolhozeh, the ruler of part of Mizpah. He built it and covered it and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of, notice this, Siloah. Do you see that? That's the same reference to Isaiah's waters of Shiloh. We're given a little more description in Nehemiah. This was not a river, it was not a lake, but it's called the pool of Siloah by the king's garden and unto the stairs that go down from the city of David. So, the Bible tells us in Isaiah that they refused the waters of Shiloh. In Nehemiah, we're given a little more description and we're told that it is the pool of Siloah. Now, let me show you something interesting about this. Go to John chapter number 9 in the New Testament. John chapter number 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 9. And look at verse number 7. Remember this story? John chapter 9 and verse 7. The Bible says this. John chapter 9 and verse 7. And said unto him, this is Jesus Christ, just got done healing a blind man. And notice what it says. And said unto him, go wash in the, notice this, pool of Siloam. Do you see that? It's the same pool. It's a little different spelling because throughout the time the names have changed uh, spelling, and especially from the Old Testament and New Testament because you got Hebrew and Greek being translated into English. But Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is the pool of Siloah from Nehemiah, which is the waters of Shiloah in the book of Isaiah. You say, well, Pastor, why, why does this matter? Why show us all this? Because in John, we're given an interesting uh, uh, interpretation of this word. Notice, John 9, 7. And said unto him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is by interpretation, here's what the word means, sent. You see that? Which is by interpretation, sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Now, in the story of John, we know this. The, the idea there is that Jesus healed a blind man, which pictures salvation, and then he says, I want you to go wash in the pool of sent, because when you got saved, you also got sent to go preach the gospel. And then Isaiah, if you go back to, to well, actually, 
Go to Romans. Just go to Romans real quick. In Isaiah chapter 8, though, the Bible says that Isaiah was preaching to the people because they refused the waters of sense. See, we know this. God had told the children of Israel, remember Isaiah chapter 5, that they were to be that vineyard that produced fruit. They were supposed to be that, that, that lighthouse. They were supposed to preach the gospel, but they refused to be sent. And you know, in our ministry, like in Isaiah's ministry, we must have the word of God pivotal. And in our ministry, like in Isaiah's ministry, we must have faithful men and faithful women that are going to help us carry the gospel and help us carry the load. And in our ministry, like in Isaiah's ministry, we ought to involve our family and we ought to not forsake the house of God in order to focus on our family. But in Isaiah's ministry, like in our ministry, we must not have an attitude of refusing to go and refusing to be sent. Notice Romans chapter 10, look at verse 14. Romans chapter number 10, and I guess I better get myself there too. Romans chapter number 10, and look at verse number 14. You say, what what is the purpose of, of church? What is the purpose of all this? Romans chapter number 10, and verse number 14, the Bible says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Let me ask you a question. You get saved by calling on the name of the Lord. Look at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the goal. We want people to call upon the name of the Lord in order to be saved. But Paul asks this question. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? He said, well, how is someone supposed to call on Jesus Christ if they have not believed in Jesus Christ? And then to take it a step further, how shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? How are they supposed to call on someone they don't believe in? And how are they supposed to believe in someone that they've never even heard about? And to take it a step further, and how shall they hear without a preacher? You, you, see, the, you see the progress of this? He says, how are people supposed to call if they don't believe? And how are people supposed to believe if they never heard? And how are they supposed to hear without a preacher? Now notice verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be Shiloh? Except they be sent. But see, today, like in Isaiah's day, people refuse the waters of sent. They don't want to go. Pastor, I'll come to church and I'll get involved, but I don't want to go. I don't want to be sad. But look, how are they going to call? And how are they going to believe? And how are they going to hear? And how are they going to preach except they be sent? That's what the Bible says. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Notice verse 15. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You say, you, you want beautiful feet, ladies? Get out soul winning. Save the money on the pedicures and just go out soul winning. The Bible says how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Why? Because in order to preach the gospel of peace, you have to be sent. You have to go. It involves going, walking, preaching, getting out there. It was pivotal in Isaiah's ministry, and it's pivotal in our ministry. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. Let me show you something else about Isaiah's ministry. And actually, let me show you something about being sent, something about soul winning. It's interesting what God says. In Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse 6. He says, For as much as this people refuseth the waters of sent, that, now notice this phrase, that goes softly. You see that? That go softly. Okay, go to Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11. I know we're looking at a lot of verses, but I thought that's why you came. Matthew chapter number 11. Look at verse 30. People say, Pastor, you want us to go out and go soul winning and talk to people that we don't know and, and do this and do that. And you want us to help you with this ministry and cleaning and doing this and doing that and volunteering and showing up early. You don't understand, you know, I'm so busy and I've got someone. Look, I know you're busy. Everybody's busy. We're all busy. We're busy. You know, just get rid of your cell phone and turn your computer off and you'll be less busy. I, I know. I know. We're all busy. But here's what you say. It's so, it's so hard. But here's what you got to understand, okay? The waters of Siloa, they go softly. They're not hard. Notice what Jesus said. Are you there in Matthew chapter 11? Look at verse 30. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 30. For my yoke. Okay. A yoke is talking about a workload. You put a yoke on an oxen to, for, to get that oxen to work. Jesus said, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You say, it's hard to serve God. It's hard. Look, it's not hard. It's easy. Now you say, well, well, 
Well, it's not easy. But it's easy compared to what the devil wants to do to you. You understand that? You say, well, well, if I go to church three times a week and I read the Bible every day with my kids and I go soul winning once a week and, and then you ask us to tithe and then you ask us to give and then you ask us to serve and you want us to show up for a work day and a soul winning seminar. Look, I'm not saying you guys show up for all those things. I'm just saying this. When you look at what God expects you to do, when you realize that it's going to keep you out of trouble, it's not hard, it's easy. And notice how God, He, he gives us the, the contrast. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse 7. Because in, in, in Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 6, he says, Hey, they are refusing the waters that go softly. They are refusing what I'm asking them to do, which is to go, to be sent, to go. They are refusing the workload that I want to give them. And the workload is water that goes softly. That's the picture. That's the image. Water that goes softly. Now notice the contrast from verse number 6 to verse number 7. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river. Now notice, he says, you don't want to do what I ask you to do, which is waters that go softly. And what I ask you to do is going to keep you right and keep you out of trouble and keep you out of sin and keep you out of adultery and keep you out of drunkenness and keep you off drugs and keep you off wasting your time and allow you to be fulfilled. He said, so you're going to go ahead and focus on yourself and this is what you're going to get. Verse 7. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the water of the river. Notice, strong and many. Even the king of Assyria and all his glory and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of thy land full of medio. He says, I wanted to send you and you refused because you were too busy and you were too preoccupied. He said, those waters went softly and instead you're going to get involved in the world. You're going to get away from God and when that water comes, it's going to be strong and many, and it's going to come up over all the channels and go over all its banks, and it's going to overflow and take you over. Go to Proverbs 13. Proverbs 13, look at verse 15. Proverbs 13, verse 15. You say, serving God is too much work. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. But let me confess to you. Allow me to confess. Sometimes I get overwhelmed. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this week. I don't know how I'm going to get everything done that I need to get done and write three sermons and, 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 and do all this. Look, sometimes I, think, I look at the ministry and I think, man, this is hard. What God is asking us to do, this is a lot of work. And it would be easier to maybe go the, the path of least resistance. But you've got to understand something. Proverbs 13, verse, look at verse 15. Look what the Bible says. Proverbs 13 and verse 15. Good understanding give it favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Your kids start complaining about well, why do we have to read the Bible and why do we have to go to church and why you know. And I'm not saying this to mock anyone, and please don't take this the wrong way. But every once in a while, when you're out in the streets and in the highways, and you see somebody who's obviously lived their life in sin, and they're pushing some cart, and they look like a mess, and they look, you ought to point those people out to your children and tell them, we're not mocking the individual, son, but listen, the way of the transgressor is hard. That's what the Bible says. It's not easy to live for the devil. It's so much work to be sent. I'd rather be sent and live for God and have that yoke that is easy and the pools that go softly than to have Satan overflow my life with sin. In Isaiah's ministry, as in our ministry, we have to keep our focus on being sent. We have to keep our focus on staying busy. We have to keep our focus on being faithful. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8, look at verse 7. Isaiah chapter 8 in verse number 7. Isaiah chapter 8, in verse 7. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the kings of Assyria and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. Verse 8. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breath of thy land. Just notice this. O Emmanuel. Make note of that. O Emmanuel. Okay? Now notice verse 9. Associate yourself. Associate yourself. The word associate is talking about be partnering up with someone. The New Testament would call it this, yoking up with someone. He says, associate yourselves, O ye people, and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, O ye of a far country, 
Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together with us, uh, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, for God is with us. Look at verse 11. For the Lord spake thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me. Notice that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy for all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. What is God talking about? He's talking about separation. He says, not only do I want you to be sent, He said, I want you to be separated. He says, be very careful who you associate yourself with. Verse 9. He says, be very careful that I should not walk in the way of his people, verse 11. He said, don't start telling me about your confederacy with, with the world. He said, he said, just be separated. And isn't that the same thing we ought to be preaching in Verity Baptist Church in 2014? That it is our job to not only be sent, but it is our job to be separated? Same thing Isaiah was preaching, same thing we preach today, same thing Moses needed, same thing the church of Jerusalem needed. It's all the same thing. It's always about working and loving and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, don't yoke yourself up with these people. Paul would, said, would say, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He said, you, you, don't, you don't have any reason to be a confederacy with the world. Hey, don't be spending time with the world when you ought to be spending time with God's people. Doing the work of God. Now let me just show you something interesting, okay? Do you remember in Isaiah chapter number 7? Go back to Isaiah chapter 7. And look at verse number... I don't know why in my notes I guess I didn't hit save and I just read it or something because all my verses are gone. Isaiah chapter number 7. Look at verse number 14. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Remember this? Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you see the word Emmanuel there? Remember how last week we cross-referenced that? Let's just go to it so you can see it. Remember we cross-referenced that to Matthew chapter number 1? Go, go to Matthew chapter 1. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew chapter number 1. Notice what Matthew chapter number 1 says. Matthew chapter number 1. And look at verse number... 23. Remember, this was the quote from Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Right? Same name. In, the, in Isaiah, it was with an I, and in the New Testament was with an E, just because it's different translations. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Right? And that's one of the verses we that, that proved the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh because he was God with us. But I want you to notice, not only was the Messiah called Emmanuel, who is being interpreted God with us, but I want you to notice something about God's people. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter number 8. Look at verse number uh, 8. Notice what it says. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And stretching out of his wings uh, shall fill the breath of thy land, O Emmanuel. Now, he's calling the people Emmanuel because we are called by God's name. I'm a Christian. So he says, there Emmanuel, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. His name is going to be Emmanuel. The the New Testament tells us that's God with us. But then in Isaiah chapter 8, he calls the people and the land Emmanuel. Because he says, you're God's people. You take God's name. Now here's what's interesting about that whole thing. Look at verse number 10. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 10. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand. Why? Why will it not stand, Emmanuel? Because, now Matthew told us, being interpreted what? God with us. And what did Isaiah chapter 8 verse 10 tell us about the people that he just called Emmanuel? God is with us. He said, Pastor, that's interesting. Well, it's interesting because that's what the word Emmanuel means. But here's the whole reason I brought that up. Look, you don't need to go back to the Hebrew, and you don't need to go back to the Greek. You don't speak Hebrew, and you don't speak Greek. Alright, let's just get that clear. You don't need to go back to all these foreign languages to understand. It's funny how, like, the New Testament tells us Emmanuel is interpreted God with us. But in Isaiah chapter 8, he calls him Emmanuel. He says, he gives him a few words, and then he says, it's not going to work out, Emmanuel. It's not going to work out, Emmanuel. You know why? Because God is with us. And he gives us a definition of the word right there. So, stop reading so many books and just study the word of God. Look at verse 11. 
For the Lord spake to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of his people, saying, Say ye not a confederacy. Verse 13. We, we've dealt with verse 11 and 12 already. Look at verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and ye shall be for a sanctuary, but for a... Notice this. This was quoted throughout Scripture a lot. For a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense. You see that? For a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense, to both the house of Israel, for a gin, and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So he says, look, this is going to be a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, to the people, look at verse 15, and many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Here's what Isaiah is saying. There's going to come a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense that's going to cause some people to stumble and he's going to cause some people to be offended. Now let me show you where this is quoted in the New Testament. Go to Romans chapter number 9. Romans chapter number 9. We've got to move quickly. I'm running out of time. We're almost done. Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 32. Romans chapter 9, verse 32. Romans chapter 9 and verse 32. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Romans chapter 9 and verse 32. The Bible says this. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. He's talking about the nation of Israel. How they did not believe, they did not accept Christ by faith, but they were seeking after salvation by the works of the law. We talked about it a little bit this morning, by circumcision and keeping certain things. That's how they thought that they were going to be justified. They, they, they thought that it would be through the works of the law. Notice last part of verse 2. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it was written, Behold, I lay in Sion. Does this sound familiar? A stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now notice that stumbling stone and that rock of offense, it's a him. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That rock is Jesus Christ. That stone is the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe on that rock. You believe on that stone. You say, well, why would Jesus be called a stumbling stone? Or why would he be called a rock of offense? Go to First Peter chapter 2. Let me just give you one, one reference to this. And we talked about this a little bit in Matthew. When we talked about, you know, Behold, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. But go to First Peter chapter number 2 and look at verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter number 2 and verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. Notice this. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus. Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. Is the Lord Jesus Christ precious to you tonight? If He's your Savior, He's precious to you, isn't He? Unto you therefore which believe, He is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Why are they stumbling at the stone? Well, we saw in Romans 9 that they stumbled because they did not seek it through faith. See, as we overview Isaiah's ministry, we see, you know, the emphasis on the Word of God. We see the fact that there was faithful witnesses that stepped up and helped him. We see the fact that he had a family-integrated church. We see the fact that he, uh, you know, preached about being sent, and he preached about separation. But we also see this, that he understood that when you uplift this rock, sometimes people are going to believe on him, and it's going to be precious to them, but sometimes people are going to stumble on him because they don't want to believe, and they're going to get offended, and they're going to leave. I mean, is that not what it's saying? Some, unto you therefore, which believe, he is precious. But to other people, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So, like in Isaiah's day today, you know, just don't get too worried about, sometimes pastors up here preaching, and sometimes people walk out, and they leave, and they get mad, or they don't come back, or whatever. You say, do you want people to leave? I don't want people to leave. I don't want people to get offended. But let me tell you something. I don't want people to leave and get offended because I was rude to them, or you were rude to them, or because I had a bad attitude, or you had a bad attitude. But if they leave... Because we preach the word of God, because we believe and we teach and preach, like we talked about this morning, about the fact that salvation is through Jesus Christ and not of works. It's not, you don't earn it, you don't keep it by living. If people leave because of that, hey, they didn't get offended at me, they didn't get offended at you, they got offended at Jesus Christ. They stumbled on the stone. Why? Because of the lack of faith. So don't get all worried, oh, people are leaving, people are leaving. Hey, they're, they're not mad at us, they're mad at God. They're not stumbling on us, they're stumbling on the rock of offense, Jesus Christ. Now, for some people, he's precious. But for others, 
excuse us stumbling. Go back to Isaiah chapter 8. Look at verse 16. We'll, we'll, we'll finish here tonight. Not only do we see in Isaiah's ministry that he had a focus on the Word of God. Not only do we see in his ministry that he in his ministry that he had faithful witnesses. Not only do we see that he involved his family. Not only do we see that he sent people and he separated people. Not only do we see that he uplifted Jesus Christ and when you uplift that stone it's going to offend some and it's going to cause some to stumble. But notice the result of his ministry. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 16. The Bible says, Bind up the testimony. Seal the law among my... Notice this word. Disciples. Do you see that word disciples? That's the first time the word is used in the Bible. The word disciple is seen all throughout the New Testament. But I think it's interesting that as God gives us an overview of Isaiah's ministry, he kind of finishes by letting us know. You know what Isaiah's ministry produced? It produced disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who is learning and following after, in Isaiah's case, the stone of offense. In my case and your case, the stone of offense, Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor Menace, what is the purpose of our church? It's to produce disciples. It's to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes that means is that we need people to do jobs that you may think they're not spiritual. You may think it's not spiritual to clean a building or wash a van or pick somebody up for church or greet someone at the door or fold a bulletin or bring a donut. You may not think those things are very, but all those things are helping us to be able to teach people the word of God. Helping us reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Helping us to carry forth that message of salvation. That's why everything we do around here is focused upon that. You say, why do we have a soul winning seminar so that we get together and eat Chipotle and have a good time? No, so we can train you how to preach the gospel to someone. So you can get people saved. So we can bring them to church. So we can baptize. So that we can teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded. So that we can make disciples. Because like in our ministry and in Isaiah's ministry, the goal is this. To make disciples. That's our goal. So my question for you is this. How are you helping? Yeah, I'm not saying you have you know, you know, to pastor, well, I'm going to volunteer for something right now. I'm just saying this. Would you take the next few weeks in October when we begin to talk about volunteering? Maybe, maybe you're volunteering. I'm not trying to guilt those of you. You're busy. You're already volunteering. You're already, I'm not trying to, I'm saying maybe you're here. You call Verity Baptist Church or Church Home and there's not really a position you're, there's not a place where you're kind of serving. There's not a place where you're kind of volunteering and there's something you're not, we've got some things coming up. We're setting up a, a, a sound booth in the next uh, six or seven weeks, maybe sooner. And maybe you say, I, lo- I love all those gadgets and you can volunteer and work back there. There's all sorts of places and things you can do. We'll talk more about it. All I would say is this. Would you pray about an area you can step up and serve? And maybe you can involve your family and you can help people be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Isaiah did and that's what we are to do today. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church. Thank you for Isaiah chapter 8. And I, I know we didn't do it service. But Lord, thank you for allowing us to be able to see in the ministry of Isaiah that he involved his family and that he had faithful people help him and some people got offended and other people got discipled and it's just ministry. It's what you've called us to do. And I pray you to help our church to get together and I pray that some people would step up and say, hey, I want to help and I want to volunteer and I want to get involved. I pray that some people would say, hey, I need to just get back to being a little more faithful and being out soul winning and being to the services and, and, and getting involved again like I used to be. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to continue to grow. Thank you for the blessings you've given us. But Lord, help us to be able to grow, not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of reaching more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. In your precious name I pray. Amen.